My name is Jack Oatway. And I am Jay Oatway. And we welcome you back to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun. It's the father-son podcast talking about the world's greatest role-playing game, Dungeons & Dragons. That's right. I am Jack Oatway. You said that already. Oh. Whoopsies. Um, we are talking about, uh, well, a large topic here of, of how to solve DM problems. Uh, this one is a little bit of a of a challenge because I think the DMs out there sometimes want to have more realism in their game. Mm. And sometimes the rule books say to you, hey, this is how we're going to do it. And you might think that's not very realistic. For example, okay, magical traps. Now, we have talked about traps a bit in the past. And... The rules are, and this there's there's a long, complicated history, which I will unfold as to how we got to this crazy point, but the rules are you make a intelligence bracket investigation check. Or arcana? Or investigation? Or arcana, I think. Investigation to find arcana right. to disarm. And you don't need a proficiency in arcana. It's an ability check in D&D 5th edition, you don't have to be proficient in anything to make an ability check. That's important to remember. Uh, there's three types of rolls in 5th edition. There's attack rolls, there's saving throw rolls, and there are ability checks. Uh, so, some DMs are sort of like, hey, yo man, why is this rogue all up in here disarming my magic traps what do they know about magic eh right and and the book's like hey just roll the dice and you're done Mm -hmm. and i brought this to you and you said dude there's a way to solve this simple solution and i was like what How, how do we fix it do we make it so that you have to have proficiency in uh arcana to to uh, disarm these traps, Which do you is a need fine to? Rule. Do you need to go to, to wizard school? Do you need to be a sp- practiced spellcaster with like a spell book to sure. know how these like runes and glyphs work? Which is also an okay rule. I mean, that's how spell school scrolls ro- work. Or can I just be a dumb old barbarian, roll a d twenty, and hey, maybe I get lucky? Well, I'd say whenever a player even asks to attempt to disarm a trap how are you attempting to do this right one brings more flavor two i can then as a dm take that in my description of how they succeed if still i'm unconvinced i say okay how would you know this how would you know to disarm this you know let's go to our barbarian example so this this gives both dm and player an opportunity here to to make the story Mm -hmm. a little bit deeper and richer without needing to introduce any Rules, funky which rules or things prevent like that. people from trying things, which right. is kind of against the spirit of D anD D, in my opinion. I agree. In fact, uh, this may be the oldest style 
of role-playing games. And I think you, you said to me, this is a role-play solution rather than a role-to-play solution. Mm. And I think that's a really important sort of philosophy to have. So the, as a DM, you'd be like describing in more detail what the trap looks like. Now, maybe that's a little extra burden on you as a DM, but you've got to sort of paint a picture here. If you're using a trap, you should understand its generic function, you know? I mean, look sure. at our episode on well, traps on how, you know, the purpose it serves right. and then understand and, what it is. And in know? moments like this, you, when a player is going to try and interact with something in your world, it's kind of on you to paint that picture, right? To try and make that world more clear get the into the granular details of this thing at that point and then maybe you look along the way as well how you say things you might drop a couple little hints in there if the player's really paying attention and then it's up to the player to descri- describe to you and maybe describe to the whole table mm. how they go about doing that i think the interesting thing we do is we look at class for what a character should be able to do role play wise um, which I think is interesting. I mean, we brought up a, a rogue trying to do something magical or a barbarian trying to do something magical, and we see these as inherently non-magical classes. Why don't we take a look at the background Yeah, of right? this character to inform how they would know? I mean, I imagine, let's say, let's go with a classic like so Wanderer, both, both Outlander, the, Barbarian, right. right? So both the stock sort of backgrounds that in your character sheet, plus maybe a little bit more of the backstory that you and sure. the DM decided at the beginning Absolutely. of the campaign. So, yeah. What what is it that that you have that might give you any insight into tr- traps, and particularly in this case, a magical trap? This comes with improvisation and understanding, like generally, you know, um, the relationship with like or like a character's backstory and how that could tie in. I mean, off the top of my head, of course, player to player basis, but. Do you think a barbarian, perhaps why would they have encountered a magic trap in the past? Perhaps to help defend their tribe, they've come across magic traps, which they've learned perhaps the hard way to disarm, trigger in a way that would then make it safer. Perhaps um, their own tribe or people they traveled with created arcane traps, especially if there's perhaps a more monstrous race um, that this player is playing, like a bugbear, perhaps. And rogues, perhaps, uh, again, depending what type of rogue they were, say they were a thief of some sort, belonged maybe to a guild, Perhaps they had a guild master who used to run them through all sorts of training Absolutely. traps that they, you know, learned long ago to somehow disarm and take out just in, in part of becoming who they were in that class. Or if you've got like a sort of an investigator type, you know, sure. maybe an inquisitive or a mastermind, you might have like, oh, I've seen this type of thing before back in my old day on a case back in the winter of... 82 and i suppose as a dm it also comes down to you deciding what level of is magic in my world right is it a low magic world and then suddenly yeah people come across magical glyphs and there's no chance that anybody is going to really get it you know that you could make the dc on something like that nearly impossible maybe like crank it way up to reflect uh, the fact that people don't. Or if you're playing high magic game like Eberron, where practically everybody has magic in their lives in some way or the other. It's a bit like, I always think of like how I've got a mobile phone in my pocket and I don't really know how all the technology inside that little device does all the amazing things it does. Um, but I know how to like use it. And I certainly know that if I drop it in a glass of water, I disable it. 
Sure. I mean, you don't have to completely understand a magical glyph to disarm it. Or another approach, instead of encountering a trap like it before, perhaps there's a spiritual connection to this type of glyph work, you know, that was unexpected. And maybe you didn't plan it originally as a DM, but it then works out later on, you know, um, a very yes and approach. If you're more comfortable resigning some of your world building to let your players shape the story a little bit. Like perhaps the barbarian says, um, well, I was thinking maybe if I could recognize the glyph uh, as it compares with old um, traditional symbols of my tribe and the old like storytelling type magical glyphs we would write, you know, and I'd be like, that sounds amazing. Make an and arcana check exactly. for me. And so what I would do, and would recommend DMs do on something like this as well, is you start with a sort of base DC for the trap. Maybe it's DC 15. And then you say, okay, well, how do you know how to deal with this? And if they give you a rock solid, amazing answer, as well as many detailed description of how they're gonna go about altering it. And you see them pull from their bag chalk that they've been carrying for like six months of the campaign. Mm. And you're like, I never thought I'd see you use the chalk, but okay. So now you're introducing an item even that you've had or things sure. like that. And it starts to look clever and creative and you see them being like really into it at the table. I'm suddenly thinking, okay, I'm gonna swing the, the DC plus or minus three on this depending what their answer is. If they give me okay. an answer like, <laughs> I don't know anything about it, I'm just gonna go for it. Then I'm like, okay, the DC is now 18. <laughs> but if you give me a good story, I'm like, okay, well now the DC is 12. And or I just prevent them from making the roll. I go, I'm un I mean, I don't know how you're approaching this. Yeah. I don't know what uh, you're trying to do here. I say, I'm I mean, always, it's very, like, players worried. never go, oh, I don't know. You know, yeah. if, if they're going, I don't know, then it's like, mm, you're not sure then. I say to them, okay, yeah, you don't know, you're not sure. If they say to me, I don't know, I say to them, you don't know, you know? <laughs> Simple as that. You know, it, all it takes is a player to try and reach out with that first step of, you sure. know, oh, I've, well, and you players will instantly want to create a connection with their character or have a cool moment. And suddenly every skill check thing that was before, like, that doesn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> Stand back, let the wizard handle this, you know? Becomes a moment for all characters to have an opportunity think, at roleplay. I think that's, that's the interesting thing here, right? Is the idea of, instead of being exclusionary in 5e of saying only certain types of people can do certain things it's trying to say okay look we've got players at the table we don't know who's going to make what type of character or how balanced the party is necessarily going to be so let's give everybody a chance to try to get through any dungeon no matter how it's written um everybody can take a chance at this somehow and we're not saying that, well, any character should be able to do anything. Obviously, there's rules in place for, you know, only clerics have, and paladins have channel divinity, only warlocks have invocations. Well, and, yeah, and that's well, there's, there's like important why that those distinctions are thieves, there. Um, rogues only are the only ones who seem to know thieves can't. Druids only ones that seem to know druidic. It's Why well, is um, there, why again isn't there, you know, only wizards know magical writing or glyphs or something? Like, I could see a DM wanting to take that step and say, look, there is precedence in other classes, we could do the same. And yeah, you're welcome to give that a, a go. I mean, Druidic is essentially symbols. Um, I don't know. You could have, sure. you could have a, mean, wor a world where right. there is a, like another language that is only for wizards. I don't see why not. That would be totally, totally fun and interesting, especially if you had a number of wizards in the party. But um, no, not only wizards should be able to learn it would be my case. Yeah, well, I think the point. same the same might be true, but Thieves Can't and, uh, and Druidic. I don't know why those languages aren't just 
languages anybody can choose. I think in my games, you play with me, they certainly are. Um, there's no reason why that should be exclusionary any more than disarming traps should be left to the wizard. Or magical traps, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but interesting, like, do you know where this, like, the first introduction of skill checks came from? It was the introduction of the thief class to D&D. But it's so integral old school to D&D. a game. It's like the- well, before that, so you had, in the very beginning, there was three classes. Mm. There was the fighter, the magic user, and the cleric. Right. And obviously they were getting crushed by traps terribly. <laughs> and... Uh, Along comes Greyhawk, and with it, I mean, previous to that, there was a few other introductions of the thief, but Greyhawk starts to put a bunch of these things down, at least the the original campaign. And from that, we we got this thief class that had these percentiles. So it wasn't like a roll on a d20, but rather a d100. Right. Um, and you had, the, the thief had, at the beginning, like a 10% chance of disarming things, and it went up by level how good the percentage was. And, but with that, also they thought, oh, well, if we're doing traps, let's also give them a percentage for picking locks and a percentage for climbing walls and a percentage for a bunch of different things. Those were the first skills of D&D. We didn't, prior to that, there, was, there wasn't even really ability checks. I mean, we had abilities and they gave you modifiers to things, but... But you, wouldn't you roll to determine if you succeeded and then yeah, add that modifier? Not so much. A lot more of it was role play rather than role to play. And but what so, was the point of the bonus? Um, well, things for hitting things, mostly. Right. Um, so just attacks and saves, really? Largely, yeah. Wow. Um, and so the that wh- idea wh- of an ability, you... an ability check huh. um, grew later out of those ideas of what the thief could do and then we suddenly start getting this idea of well okay let's all have like some different abilities of things we can try and do yeah and i think that that where we are in 5e as much as some people might be like oh you know i i lament i i I wish for the olden days the olden days were exactly the same as these days like you can play it as a role-playing game still to this day, you don't have to do role-to-play mm. until somebody has explained how they're doing the trap. And then you can involve the dice in it a little bit. I always say, look, if you mess this up, it's going to go off. Like, make sure that they understand there's a risk and reward. That's also really important on the role-to-play part of the game. True. Um, and so hopefully they're... They're all the more reason why I want to see them really lean into the role play portion of it, bring the, the life at the table and help maybe, you know, reduce the chance of it blowing up in their face. But the dice, the dice may be out to kill you. I can't help you with that. That's yeah, that's the, that's how the game works. I mean, if you really want to take this to its extreme, you could completely cut out the role as long as the role play is good enough yeah. to where a point you go. That's awesome. You give it a go. Um, despite not having proficiency you swiftly unravel you know i mean say you're short on time rather than making everyone go through a roll and the whole pause of rolling i mean there can be suspense there but not everything has to be a suspenseful moment there as you roll a die and then they go um like look at their character sheet look back at the die look at their character sheet again look at the die again and go count with their fingers in the air and (laughs) and they go uh 70 sorry no uh yeah, 17, you know, and you go, yeah, that succeeds, you know. It's suddenly taken a whole bunch out of that moment somehow. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. Or and I think even, that's even in the case of and success, I think, you know, and, and I, failure. I, it could be even like I think more knowing, like, knowing, oh, well. 
knowing the characters as well. So we're, we keep doing the assumption here as, as well that, okay, we're putting the barbarian or rogue into the disarming of it. But maybe the rogue does have a really high intelligence. Maybe you've built a rogue that is a dex intelligence character. Sure. Many crazy, guides suggest crazy. you don't do intelligence, that's, that's, but I know. I but suggest you do whatever that, that you want. Yeah, that's straight up, you know, um, how it's often, just, you know, prescribed to build a rogue. High intelligent rogue, or you put a high intelligent wizard in the situation, and suddenly I'm thinking, okay, well, I've already got a really intelligent character trying to deal with this problem. Um, and, and maybe they are proficient in Arcana, and maybe they are proficient, you know, in using magic. And yeah, now they've just given me a good piece of role play. I don't need the Another dice role, at this point. You know, like the this idea of, and even how the idea of like how passive ability scores work. We talk about passive perception mostly, but you could have passive anything you want. And if you're sort of thinking, okay, well, with their, their proficiency bonus and their ability score bonus uh, on a passive number, they're already probably close to beating my DC. And now they've also given me a really great piece of role play. Let's just keep going. Let's just like, they say what they're going to do. It sounds super cool. I describe how it all comes uh, unravels. Everybody's like, yay, good hero moment at the table. And we're moving, we're moving, you know, through the, the encounter. If you want to maintain a sense of chance, you can still, I mean, have a die roll or use like passive scores like yeah. as if you want to like set uh, what a, like a perhaps a dc that's reasonable for I, them i or, think also if there's things know, like if there's time one if there's time pressures that. if you're inside initiative if there's sure things like that that are going on I mean, we've talked then, about this in previous yeah, episodes yeah. But. and dice rolls in those situations become much more important mm. but if the, the the pcs have got loads of time as well yeah then it's also it seems that it's in their advantage that they're going to succeed yeah. eventually. I think a good case study is like the door in EXU episode one, where it's like this door, and a, a, I mean, the DM obviously intended them to just like make a check, bust it down, and find the treasure, right? Yeah. But it's like they fail, and they fail, and they fail. And it's a funny moment in the show, but you can tell obviously that the DM just wanted it to be over with, they just wanted to get through the story, and it just sort of. Yeah, post is an unnecessary roadblock. And it, and it, in many and ways, it, and when you sometimes you see this, these being played on the actual plays online, you recognize in those moments you're like, oh yeah, I've done that as a DM as well. Mm. And it seemed in my mind like, yeah, this is a point where we should make a check. But then when you start playing it out, you're like, this didn't matter. This wasn't where the, the story wasn't about the door. And you suddenly it's become about the door. Exactly. So only put the checks on the things that are the story is about. Yeah. And the other things, yeah, make them role play it. Right? Tell me how you kicked down the door. No, but the, see, in and that then, moment, like the Fern Seder character said, "Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna charge up and hit it with my my ram horns." That's beautiful RP. Yeah, that's like fine. everyone was like, "That's such a great idea." Runs back, slams it, make and a it, check for me, minus one athletics, whiffs it. Yeah. you know, like of course when, they do. And, like, and you could, if you wanted to add a little drama, say that yeah, the door mostly cracks and breaks. You bounce off it. You're a little bit dizzy, and then the next character that comes along has to barely touch it with a finger and it falls in or something like right. you can you can do storytelling without Maintaining the all the rules right yeah and you don't have to have to make it an auto success you can have some fun with it but you don't have to punish characters you can just make it a laugh and have some fun with yeah. the, the storytelling component of it and everybody at the table goes with that so much better especially in non-crucial non-pivotal plot moments you don't defeat the big bad guy that way. Of course not. You know, you know, there's always, if there's any chance a player's going to die, you've got to let the dice do that to them. You can't just as a DM go, 
and you ram the door and your head split open and now you're dead. Goodbye. That's very first edition in my mind. That's how I imagine you played D&D when you were there, young. There was, there was moments like that. I'll kid you not. Um, teenagers in the, in the 80s were, were jerks to each other a lot. Yeah. Well, 21st century, we don't need to be. No. No, you guys are like way more woke and plugged in and, and have better role models as well. You know, the, the actual plays and the things that we do see online do show us a, a much wider, more interesting um, variety of play. And I think we bring that to our games as well. And sure. it gives us a chance to see their mistakes and do better ourselves. Maybe another suggestion, if you do want to maintain roles, is to, if role play is good, turn complete failure or, or no progress into progress with setbacks. I mean, we've talked about yeah. this even in Bully Checks in the past. You know, how the all or nothing approach is often very unsatisfying storytelling-wise. Sure. You know, for a DM, if they succeed right away, it feels like it was too easy. And if, you know, they fail, it feels like the players aren't able to do anything and they're just stuck on this one moment trying over and over and over. And as a DM, you just, like, let everyone, like, one by one take their turn making the check until someone finally gets it, you know? Yeah. Or they have to turn away and defeat sure. at this one lock uh, they couldn't to, to pick. Your, you know? To your point, they ram the door, they whiff it, you make them make a check, they whiff it, and at that point you realize, uh, okay, right, instead of the door goes, the door yeah. goes down, but you're dizzy, you know, you're stunned now. You're like for the next, well, you know, stunned is a little too much. I I just keep it keep it a role play thing. Yeah. Let's not get into the weeds of mechanics yet. I'd say you you feel a little dizzy, and the next time they make a check, or they would. You know, do something, and then they actually do fail. It's like you're a little light in the head still from that bonk a little earlier, or any time a player's feeling down about their bad luck. You know, later down, like yeah. further in the game, or any time they miss or are hit or fail a save, you go, you're a little bit dizzy, and you don't quite. And they go like, well, okay, well, that, that's kind of the story. There's there's a continuity yeah, the, here. The, the dice, a, the dice will often do that as well. The dice will actually often start leaning. Like one way for a, a player, if you're, a, you know, and I guess it's a confirmational bias. Thing. It is absolutely and, it is. But then, yeah, if you if you've got a story reason that you can explain away the dice, it also feels better as a player if you can lean into your failure. Absolutely. With a little bit of role play, um, maybe you've got a concussion at that point. Maybe somebody's got like who's good at medicine comes over at that point, and maybe they do a check and they sort of, you know, maybe you end up with a you know bandaged head somehow for part of the game. Again, this doesn't have to be, you're right, this doesn't have to get bogged down in mechanics. Um, it's just fun. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah you, can, you can do what you want with that. Yeah. I think that's all, folks. Bit of a shorter episode this week. But yeah, I, the takeaway on this is balance your role to play with more role play. Yeah. Consider taking the ability check and turning it into a, I don't know. I don't know, I'm trying to think of something quippy. quippy a, a narration check. Narr- yeah, narration check. Hey, vibe check, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I like that a lot. I like the idea of um, cinematic advantage. Mm, or not even advantage, just like, I mean, you could make it advantage. The idea like in the, of, in the style of, of inspiration. Yeah, but. encouraging your players to describe cinematic action. Consider just um, doing away with the to, role or making the role less all fail or all success if yeah. a player gives you good role play. Consider like introducing things like setbacks, you know, or success at a cost if the role play is good. And those failure moments can turn into small impediments that make fun role play even further down the road. You know? I think yeah. that's what you learn to do with experience as a DM, but 
for those out there who aren't very familiar with it or maybe just don't think about it very often, sometimes you get like running a game, the last thing you care about is describing all the little minute details of how someone undoes a whatever stuff you've put in their way but i think it's it's one of my favorite parts of the game is it's it's the part where you can have a bit of a laugh you know with not you're you're literally being attacked or attacking others it's very much so a chance for characters to be themselves you know or show their talents off in a way that doesn't involve slicing or being sliced unless you're talking about slicing wit or slicing the compute the mainframe (laughs) All right, folks, uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun. Um, you know, tell your friends that we're here, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, see ya. Bye.